Today on Never Was a Gamer. Move over, Ring Fit Adventure. It is arm day on Donkey Kong Island. Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time playing everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is this show's very own Jack Costanzo, Dimitri. What? The Dimitri, the legendary Bongocero, Mr. <laughs> Bongo himself, Jack, Jack Costanzo. Jack Costanzo? Yes, played famously with Peggy Lee and many others in the nightclub scene in New York City. Did Jack you, Costanzo, the Bongo Cero. You clear, you clearly Wikipedia or Googled famous bongo players. I can't believe you don't know Jack Costanzo. <laughs> you keep having to look down at your phone to remember <laughs> his name. So <laughs> I think you might also have trouble remembering Jack Costanzo. Uh, but yes, thanks so much for joining us. We're here to talk about a bongo-based game. Donkey Kong Jungle Beat that was released for the GameCube in 2005. This is the third and final episode in our arc that explores games with unconventional and experimental mechanics. And in some ways, these may be the most unconventional of all. Certainly that we've played. Yes, because you don't use a typical controller. You use those plastic bongos. Literal ass bongos, yes. (laughs) Yeah, as I mentioned last time, of all the games we've played for the show so far and maybe in the future... Not counting our grab bag episodes, this may be, you know, the most inconsequential in (laughs) in terms of, you know, leaving a lasting legacy on the industry game that we've that we've played and may ever play. I have I have some arguments to make about why that may be not the case. Right. The, The big question, though, is why are we doing Donkey Kong Jungle Beat? Part of the reason is because you have a long history with the Donkey Kong Country, Donkey Kong 2D platformer, you know, franchise. And also that we want to do something peripheral based. I love, love a weird peripheral. You you really do. And you've been asking pretty much since the inception of the show, are we going to do something with, with peripherals? <laughs> Can we do peripherals? Can we do peripheral grab bag? Peripheral episode? Yeah. And, episode and, on peripherals? And yeah, maybe we can. Part of the reason we haven't, well, one is that a lot of the games that require peripherals, apart from, like I said last time, the music games, a lot of those, a lot of those peripherals just don't work or the games attached to them aren't that great. Right. Also... I don't want to have to go on eBay and yeah. <laughs> drop $50 for like exactly. a novelty like add on to some system we don't even own that we have to like. <laughs> yeah, it's it just it just logistically peripherals make things a challenge. Luckily enough, I had uh, two pairs of bongos in my basement at home. You're lousy with my, bongos. At my parents' house because we've kept them after all these years. So I uh, thought this would be a great opportunity to finally do a peripheral-based game. You got multiple bongoceros at your family's home. We did. We had to get... We had bongoceros. To get the two. Oh, my God. <laughs> so uh, so before we get into this, what's your what's up with you and peripherals? Why do you love them so okay. much, or the idea of them, at so, least? Yeah, very much the idea of them. I love learning about them. I don't know that I always need to like have them. <laughs> and I, I think it's actually closely related to all the reasons you just outlined why we don't want to go deep. We don't want to actually have to acquire and have all the peripherals. I think I'm interested in them because they're a gamble on behalf of a video game company on how much consumers are going to be willing to let video games intrude into their physical home. Like, 
On top of just being expensive, peripherals just mean an extra accumulation of stuff, right? Yeah. And like, you know, at your your family is able to just like chuck these bongos into your basement for storage, right? When they're not being played with anymore. And so I don't know if this is something that um, is from my sensibilities as a lifelong apartment dweller that I'm just like, I don't, how do you have room for all this shit? Yeah. Um, but it, it's just, it's such an interesting example of trying to bring something into physical space that modifies, you know, the way the way your games work. And I think it's like a test of how bad anyone wants to play a specific game also. Yeah. And I think they're also interesting to me because on top of representing like a little bit of a weird experimentation from particularly companies that tend to be invested in consoles, like to me, as I understand it, one of the assets of working on and with consoles is that you have a standardized set of specs that you're building to, right? Like as opposed to in the PC environment where people have all different hardware setups, if you're building for like the PS4 you know, everyone's basically just got the, you know what everyone is dealing with, you know what the controller is like, you have fewer of these variables. And so I think like weird peripherals also are interesting to me because they're a deviation from that. They're like, when we want to do something still using this framework, but like not engaging with what is supposed to be one of the most advantageous parts of like being on, you know, the the GameCube or like the PS4 or whatever. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, even to go one step further, peripherals are almost always an acknowledgement on the part of the developer that whatever control comes with the system is insufficient for the idea that they have in the mind. The vision that they have. It's like a belief in a vision that just can't be contained to the existing system. Yeah, right. The, the majority of peripherals at least have at their core this idea of immersion, that they want to make right. the games more immersive, that they want you, the player, to feel more of a one-to-one connection with your on-screen avatar. Okay. You don't want to play a guitar through the PlayStation controller. You want to have a plastic right. guitar right. so you can feel like you're playing guitar. Wh- even though it also just has buttons on it that you could have mapped to the PlayStation controller. Sure, yeah. <laughs> right. Or, you know, you want to put on this power glove sure. so, you can, so you can have more of that direct control. You know, the, this kind of almost futuristic idea where you're not necessarily controlling the game with your mind, but it's just one step removed from that, right? Where right. it's just your body, it's it's kind of like a minority report, uh, you know, when Tom Cruise is touching his weird touch screens, that kind of haptic feedback. You know, you just stick on this glove and now your your whole arm is the thing that can control this game, right? These fantasies sure. of immersion. Like, yeah, even indexing when not, the body into something in game that like... Yeah, even when not tied to the thing in the game itself, which is by and large the way that most rhythm games Right, use peripherals, right, right, right. right? There's there's this one-to-one uh, connection. And I've played some of these. You know, the, some of these are not, some of them are not like really in the weird or rare peripherals. But like, uh, did everyone not have the duck hunt gun? Oh, yeah. When you bought an NES, a lot of them came with it. Okay, yeah. So I don't know. I think that it's interesting to me too that this has always been, there's like a parallel history of peripherals with consoles that goes back to like quite early early periods. Yeah, and I mean, peripherals were always popular in the arcades, right? Arcade cabinets with weird gimmicks right. that would attract people to them. And in, in some cases, right, the light gun. So how do you bring the light gun into the home? Mm-hmm. You do it through the NES zapper. I played that so much. I played so much Duck Hunt with that thing. And then, of course, you know, uh, 
other games again coming from the arcade that engage the body in different ways, like Dance Dance Revolution. We had that in my house. Oh, yeah. You had like the the mat. We did. Uh, I my memory of that is purely associated with coming downstairs and the basement smelling absolutely atrocious because <laughs> my two adolescent brothers have been going at it for like hours. I never had the mat. Was it responsive? Yeah, it was pretty good. Okay, you, they did break. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like good until you had used it the amount of hours you can use it and then it like gave up the ghost. But I'm pretty sure we still have two somewhere. But yeah, a lot of hours of fun with that thing. It worked pretty well. I think I also remember there being like a steering wheel mount for the Wiimote. I think yeah. I remember trying to play Mario Kart with that and not enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, the Wii did a lot of things like that where they just released like these plastic cases for the Wiimote okay. that would look like in this case, a steering wheel that I think came with the Mario Kart. I think there were tennis, you know, weird tennis ones. Sure. There was definitely a zapper one where there was like a gun that would turn your Wiimote into a zapper. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I think like most recently, the peripheral that we both have sincerely really enjoyed playing with has been Ring Fit Adventure. Like you and I both spent a lot of time with that game. Yeah. And I think that's that's a, that's great. And and right when you're doing kind of exercise games, you almost always need something for resistance. Yeah. Or, yeah. So that's just, yeah, that makes sense. Right. Games that are trying to engage your body in, in different ways. The, this is not that. no. <laughs> No. I mean, it definitely does engage your body, as you mentioned. Oh, my God. Yes. But one of the reasons that the uh, DK Bongos and Donkey Kong Jungle Beat in particular is so fascinating to me is because they took this peripheral that made makes much more sense in the context of Donkey Konga, the, the bongo rhythm game that we did play for a little bit. Yeah. And then they just said, let's use this for Donkey Kong's return to duty platforming. <laughs> like, that's so interesting to me. Yeah. Uh, and that's really what I really what I want to dig into. Yeah, for sure. The last thing I guess I want to say about peripherals is like I also am fascinated by the history of peripherals that I guess didn't really catch on. Like it's also interesting to me the realm of like um, failed experiments or things that uh, developers played around with but never got to release. Like that's also just a really interesting slice of game history for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think partially because of how many different um, paths we can imagine, you know, branching off if, you know, suddenly every household that has a Wii has, you know, this other weird piece of equipment in it. And like, what does that mean? And so I, I'm i really excited to talk about this because I feel like the Donkey Kong Jungle Beat is like, well, all these people have bongos. So like, what else? <laughs> what else can we do with those? Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't know what the sales numbers were, but I don't think a lot of people had bongos because we only saw one Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Right. And, and I think three Donkey Konga games, and that was kind of it for the for the bongo-based games on the GameCube. But before we talk about Jungle Beat, we played a little bit of Donkey Konga just because I want you to get a sense of what, these, what the bongos were primarily for. So we played uh, Donkey Konga, which came out in Japan in 2003, came out in North America in 2004. This is a really early home console rhythm game with plastic instrument peripheral. So can you frame for is this before or after rock band and guitar this is hero? Before. Okay, okay. Yeah. This is this is before. Um, like I mentioned, games with instrument peripherals were really popular in arcades, especially Japanese arcades. Uh there was this game called Samba de Amigo, which had a home version on the Dreamcast where you used plastic maracas. Hmm. Uh there was a Guitar Freaks and Drum Mania series in Japan that was really popular in the arcades. And then maybe most popular in the arcades was a game by Namco called uh, Taiko Drum Master, or at least it was released here later as Taiko Drum Master. Really, really popular in in Japanese arcades. So in 2003, Nintendo actually brought on Namco to develop Donkey Konga. 
and the North American debut of Donkey Konga, the bongos, and also a sneak peek at Jungle Beat was at uh, E3 2004. And and one other thing to remember here is this is Donkey Kong's first console appearance, like solo appearance, a first Donkey Kong branded game on a console since Donkey Kong 64. Oh, a stinker if we ever saw one. And then Donkey Kong Jungle Beat was the first 2D Donkey Kong platformer since Donkey Kong Country 3. Wow. And uh, people on the message wards had feelings about that. I and, uh, bet. I'm sure you probably had feelings about that. <laughs> we'll talk about that later. But you played a bit of Donkey Konga. Mm-hmm. It's, as you'd imagine, it's a it's a pretty typical rhythm game where you are, you know, matching symbols on the screen and matching the beats by playing your, your you know, left-right bongos. Both bongos at the same time are clapping uh, to get the uh, audio sensor. That's the whole thing. What did you think? Uh, I'm weirdly bad at this. <laughs> I'm not usually terrible at rhythm games. I was pretty bad at this. I don't fully have an explanation for that, but... I want to say that it was extremely fun. Um, I always have actually, like, I play a couple of instruments, or at least did when I was a kid, but I've always actually kind of wanted to play drums because I like how physical it seems. And it is genuinely fun to, like, kind of go to town on, on the bongos. It's, like, kind of cathartic. It feels, like, very tactile, very physical. And this was a good time. The other thing, the big thing to say here, actually, is, like, there's real songs here? Well, yeah, it's a rhythm game. Yeah, I, I I, guess. I just, I was surprised. So there's like the impression that I get by the Mighty Mighty Boston, which like, I don't know why, but I wasn't expecting. I guess it's just like, oh, they, they like invested some money in this to get like some songs. I mean, I don't know how expensive those are, but. They, I don't know. They seem pretty bottom barrel songs. Like this is. These are not new, the newest radio hits. I suppose that's true. And really the biggest draw anyway is the Pokemon theme song. The Pokemon theme song is very good. Yeah. that Actually, that and the impression that I get are the songs that I definitely played the most of, but mostly <laughs> Pokemon theme song. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's just fun to bongo. Yeah, right. And, and it's one of the rhythm games that has to work the least to make you feel that one-to-one connection mm-hmm. between, you know, what you're doing and actually playing the instrument because you're more or less bongoing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure um, Jack Costanzo would uh, scoff. Legendary Bongocero, Jack Costanzo. At that comment. But, yeah. you know, you really do feel like you're you're interacting with an instrument and that the sounds that, you know, you're, you know, you're making in within the world of the game are literally the sounds that you're hearing yourself make. Yeah. On the bongos. You're doing little drum rolls. Um, you're, yeah, pound. Yeah. Which banging again, out your little rhythm. Which again, like with with um, even with rock band, right? The people who played the drums, that was the closest to the actual experience. You know, people mm-hmm. who did the rock band drums more or less learned a little bit about actual drumming. Way more than, you know, I learned about playing the guitar. You know what I'm curious about now? I think we had rock band stuff in the, in the house when I was a kid. And uh, my brothers both started a band together shortly after that. And my middle brother actually fully played the drums. I wonder if there's like any sort of like getting started connection there. I'm going to ask. Yeah. I mean, my brother, who, as you know, plays the guitar. Yeah. His, maybe his number one passion. He got his start by playing uh, Guitar Hero. Yeah. So it's not that in those cases, it is exactly like the thing, but it's like close enough that you're like, oh. Yeah. I think because he was really, really young. And I think the day that he was, he became better than me at Guitar Hero is when he decided to to pick up the real guitar. Wow. He was like, I believe in myself now. Yeah. And it, and, and it worked. 
He is good at the guitar. <laughs> He's also was very good at guitar hero. I believe that. I, b- I believe so that. There was, yeah. there was like a transference of skill yeah. <laughs> somewhere in there. <laughs> Donkey Kong is pretty fun. Really limited set of songs, though, overall. Yeah. Have some really kiddie songs yeah. that are just kind of a little cringe-inducing to even hear them. Like it, it's, it's an all-ages game. It's a Nintendo game. It's a family. It's a family game. Yeah. But I really do like that Nintendo put in a bunch of, you know, Nintendo branded songs. You have yeah. the Legend of Zelda theme, aforementioned Pokemon theme. You got to hear, I think for your first time ever, the theme song to the Kirby cartoon, Kirby Right Back At Ya. Yeah, did not improve my day. <laughs> it's a good song. It's not. It was, I guess for me, it was more of like a time machine to, to a very particular point in time. Sure. I'm telling you, without the benefit of nostalgia... That song sucks shit. <laughs> Kirby, 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 that's a name you should know. Kirby, 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 he's the star of the show. He's more than you think, he's got maximum pain. Kirby, Kirby, Kirby's the one. He comes from right, back that child. He comes from right, back that child. Give it all that you got, take a bit of that shot. Cause in the right, back that you for sure, yeah. How can I help you, King? Monster to claw, but I dare Kirby. That's what we do best at NME. You better get it with a money back guarantee. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty friendly way to start playing around with the bongos. Um, before you take the significant step up in difficulty, I think, represented <laughs> by uh, Donkey Kong Jungle Beat. Yeah, Donkey Kong Jungle Beat is a, is a very different beast. And more difficult if only because... It is so strange. Yeah. Right, that it that it really takes a while to wrap your head around the fact that this game exists. And yeah. then I think once you do, then it really actually does make sense. So for people who aren't familiar, Michelle, do you want to set up what this game is? Yeah, this is actually the easiest one of these I've had in a while. Um, this is a 2D platformer where you are Donkey Kong and you move him using the bongos. And that is the whole story. Yeah, not much of a narrative to speak of. It's really all about you and your controller. You and the bongos. But yeah, really experimental game. The first game developed by Nintendo EAD Tokyo, which at this time was a new studio that Nintendo opened in Tokyo to attract Japanese talent who didn't necessarily want to relocate to Kyoto. So this brand new studio was led by Takao Shimizu and a name that you're very familiar with at this point, Yoshiaki Koizumi, Mm. who's now in charge of the Mario series. Right. And they're both fresh off leading development on Super Mario Sunshine. And it was, again, uh, maybe a Miyamoto medal (laughs) that got this game made. Because Miyamoto suggested uh, to this team, to this brand new studio, that maybe they would want to make a new game in the Donkey Kong series. And really, this game served as a kind of audition for this new studio to show that they could be responsible for the next mainline Mario game, which happened to be Mario Galaxy. Way to make them audition on hard mode. They're like, oh, make a game. Don't just make it good, though. Uh, p- you play it on the bongos. Well, so I don't think that was Miyamoto's idea. Because okay. Koizumi says that he got the idea of using the bongos after seeing Donkey Konga demonstrated at an internal te- oh, meeting okay. where they did kind of a tech demo of, you know, we're working with Namco on this new game. We've got these bongos. And then he just had the idea that, uh, you know, maybe we can make a Donkey Kong game because... He'd been hearing from a lot of different people that they were finding controls in modern games too difficult, and he wanted to make a game that would be really simple and easier to understand and play, and he saw this new input device as a way to achieve that goal. 
That is a truly insane conclusion <laughs> to draw. It's like people find buttons hard. Oh, we'll have them do a platformer using bongos. That is pr- way to swing for the fences. I mean, way it, to believe in your creative vision. It's basically a four button setup, though, which is much less complicated than a GameCube controller to somebody who maybe has never seen or touched a controller before. Sure. I understand that my perspective is not. This is not a situation where like my read on it is the correct read, mm-hmm. uh, but the idea that this is easier than just playing these games with a controller is truly hilarious <laughs> to me. I mean, this is a, this is kind of a Nintendo thing where they often think that their controls are too complicated, which is why you know for the Wii they went to something that looked like a remote control because mm-hmm. their logic was that everybody knows what a remote control looks like, so we can use that as our input device. But it's not very comfortable for a lot of different kinds of games. Right. And so, yeah, there's always kind of this give and take with Nintendo. Um, The other thing that uh, Koizumi had noticed, because he'd worked on all of these 3D platformers, and in particular on uh, camera setups, said he knew that the camera of 3D platformers was overly complicated for new players, which I think is something that you can also agree with. That that is a more reasonable point to me. Right. And he he felt, you know, the camera options in Sunshine burden players because they had to decide in a camera angle really before getting to the gameplay, Mm -hmm. right? You're always adjusting your camera. Sometimes it's taking away from the game itself because you're, you know, you're fiddling and before you can actually get into the movement. So that's why he also decided that for their next game, uh, Jungle Beat, it would become 2D. They'd make the camera angles automatic where the player didn't have to worry about the camera at all and basically just ignored all these underlying problems of 3D camera control that he'd been struggling with and trying to deal with and overcome. Like, we'll just go back. Forget for, it. Forget for a lot it. Forget of it. his career. Yeah. <laughs> and one of the big innovations here was what Koizumi called contextual binding, which is, as you know, when you're mostly using the bongos to move Donkey Kong and you know navigate platform, but then when you encounter an enemy... You do get a camera switch mm-hmm. and your controls switch and they become combat controls. Right. And that's a way to get combat and platforming out of the same control set into the same relatively limited controller just by switching the camera when you're in a different context. You know, and the way this works is actually pretty impressive because like until this moment, I don't know that I would have like specifically recalled and articulated that as a thing that the camera does. Like I know exactly what you're referring to, but it really does feel like a fluid switch um which is pretty impressive actually yeah and that was definitely one of their goals is to just keep everything fluid and basically so the player doesn't even notice what's going on that it, it seems as simple as possible they mentioned experimenting with more complicated controls for example we mentioned before that there is kind of a noise sensor and clapping is actually a big component to this game yep and at one point they experimented with the loudness of the clap determining the height of DK's jump. <laughs> that, would, that would have been fine for us. <laughs> it was just, it'd always be peak jump. Yeah, every time. Yeah, they noticed it just, it was just too confusing. Didn't work well upon implementation. Just, you know, it just didn't keep the game streamlined enough. And another one of Koizumi's goals, he said at this point, was because he really wanted to motivate the player to play the game. He said they really wanted to make the player want to hit things, right? They want the mm. player to want to engage with the controller. And I mean, in that case, I don't think you have to work too hard. Anytime you see a bongo, you just want to hit it. Yeah, you do. You just sit down immediately. So what then were your overall thoughts about this game, especially coming from this history loving the Donkey Kong platformers? So I have I have like I was both super impressed with this game on its own merits and also uh, have so. It, it also sits in a funny way alongside the legacy for me of the great Donkey Kong games that come before it and after it. Um, but overall, I think 
considering you play these with a bongo, this is kind of an incredible game. Uh, it's kind of a remarkable achievement. Um, I just always feel like I need to add, given the fact that you play it with this profoundly silly controller. <laughs> okay, so do you want to describe in more detail what you do with this game, how you actually do play it with sure. these bongo controllers? Sure, sure, sure. Um, so basically, your left bongo and your right bongo move you in that direction. So if you want to run to the right, you're sort of doing a drum roll on the right bongo. Right, you're not holding... The, no, you're not holding the but the button. You're actually drumming it to move him. Yeah, um, hitting both the same time jumps you, uh, and in a pretty cool way, we have sort of a contextual clap where, like, clap depending on where Donkey Kong is, kind of does like everything else. Kind of the action button. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's grabbing things. It's hitting guys with your with your fist and knocking them over. It's it's a bunch of different stuff. Um, so that's that's the basic operation of of the game. Um, so you're pretty pretty frequently, you know, banging it out on, on those drops as you're like moving. Um, and there are some there's some momentum physics about you know how quickly you're moving in it in either direction. But that's that's mostly it. That's your that's your control scheme. Yeah, and it's it's shockingly versatile. And yeah. When we talk about some of the levels, I think we'll talk about the versatility of what you can actually do within that relatively limited control scheme. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I'd forgotten about this game, because I, I hadn't played this game since it came out. Mm -hmm. And actually, just so I don't bury the lead, I actually see it much more favorably now than I did when I initially played it. Oh, interesting. But one of the things that I that I forgot about was how this game is structured so differently from other Donkey Kong yeah, platformers yeah. and how it's structured in a way to really encourage certain types of play and experimentation with with the control scheme yeah so i really like the structure of this game actually so you have these little worlds that are basically two introductory levels and then a boss yeah and so these are called kingdoms okay they're often they're fruit kingdoms yeah so okay bare bones of a story here we mentioned that there's no story there's there's basically no story yeah it purely in in there's like a little giving you a tip screen at one point that says on your quest to become king do this and i was like oh i guess that's what i'm doing <laughs> yeah donkey kong just wants to become king of the fruit jungle sure. and to do that you move through these fruit-based kingdoms which as you mentioned each kingdom is made up of three parts two mm -hmm. levels and then your boss yeah so uh, the basic way that you progress is in each of the two levels you collect bananas that become counted in in beats which are sort of your point system here and so in addition to just getting through the levels you're trying to accumulate those beats in the first two and then when you get to the boss you can only lose them so you're trying to take as little damage from that boss as possible to retain the highest possible amount of beats and then that's sort of what you're graded on you get medals in response to how many you get and you need certain levels numbers of medals to unlock the next kingdoms right i think for beating, you know, for beating the kingdom, you get a bronze medal. For getting 500 beats, you get a silver. For getting 800, you get a gold. And if you get 1,200, you get a platinum. Yeah. And then, yeah, in order to open up subsequent kingdoms, you need a certain total of medals. So you are incentivized to go back and, and do better if you only got the bronze medal, for example. And to get to the final boss, you actually have to get pretty much an average of you know, a gold medal on every level. Yeah, um, I really like this structure. I think it's pretty clever. Um, I generally don't really like games, especially things like platformers that really invest in points as a system that matters. But I think this is 
one of the better implementations I've ever seen because they feel real, they feel substantive, and it gives you a very clear path of replayability. Like I really understand and feel a, a desire to go back like, okay, I can do this better the second time. I've seen what's coming now. I see how I could, you know, chain together these different moves to make a combo to get more beats. Like I know how to do this again. And that sort of uh, replayability of levels with increasing levels of finesse, that is something that I really associate with Donkey Kong games. Hmm. Like even going through earlier, you know, country and stuff, you'll like get through a level and be like, oh, but I saw the corner of a barrel in this screen that I know I can probably get to if I bounced off these three birds in the right order. Like that is something that I associate with um, this line of games. And so that's really welcome. Um, and I think it's implemented really, really well. It's, it's clear and legible. You feel really motivated to not just steamroll your way through the final boss because you're like, whatever, I beat him, who cares? Like you really are still trying to finesse every inch of it to the last. Yeah, there's a few things here, right? Yeah, one, like you're saying, it really incentivizes you to do more than just, you know, be motivated to beat the Survive. boss. Survive, yeah, yeah. That you, you really have to ideally almost get through the boss without getting a hit. Yeah. Right, so you can actually maintain the number of beats you have coming in. And the other thing you mentioned is, you know, this point system, it is like all of the games that we've talked about in this arc, something borrowed almost from the arcades, mm-hmm. right? Kind of an, an arcade implementation. Uh, because, and I think thankfully, the levels in Jungle Beat are much shorter than your traditional, you know, Donkey Kong Country or Mario yeah, levels. Absolutely. They're very short bursts, which is very good because this game does take a lot out of you physically. She is strenuous. And I think it makes a lot of sense to just, you know, have. Two pretty short levels tied together as a kingdom. Both together probably make up, you know, the same length mm-hmm. of playtime as as one Donkey Kong Country level. Yeah. But they let you kind of explore ideas really quickly and then move on to the next thing, rest your arms in between. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, and then take on the boss and collect your and collect your beats. And the other thing, of course, that adds an extra layer of challenge and finesse to gathering the beats is a really interesting combo system. Mm-hmm. So I think and I think this is one of the reasons that they're not called bananas, they're called beats, is because one banana does not necessarily equal one beat. Right. Because depending on how you gather the bananas or if you have combo multipliers, a banana can be, you know, one banana can be worth 16 beats. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the game does this through this this combo system. So what did you think of this uh, combo system? Do you want to explain how it worked? No, because I still don't <laughs> fully understand it. Wait, what? Okay, so here's what I know about this combo system. Your your combo multiplier continues to creep up for reasons that I don't know uh, the longer you go without touching the ground. So if you can swing and bounce on enemies and fly through the air and catch things that launch you and stay airborne while connect- collecting bananas for a longer period of time, you get a higher combo multiplier. And it's sort of cashed out when you finally touch down on the ground, your multiplier resets, but you get all those points. If you get hit in the middle, you lose what you've sort of accumulated, but not cashed out by touching down. So that's what I know about this combo system. Here are some questions that I have. Okay. Even after playing this entire game, what makes your multiplier go up? What? How do the, how do the little petals on the flower thing work? Do you know what I'm talking about? There, sometimes when you clap at a butterfly, it releases all these petals. And when you collect the petals, um, 
petals up here on this oh, little Oh, when you wheel. get 100, you get 100 beats. Oh, okay, great. Um, yeah, I mean, I... Uh, okay, so the combo system... I, I wouldn't say the combo system is over-explained in this <laughs> game, is I guess part of the point that I'm trying to make here. So basically, you add to your combo by doing mid-air actions. And any new mid-air action that you do that you can chain together without touching the ground adds one more to your multiplier. Okay. So, for example, let's say you're DK and you're running up and you see these walls where you're going to have to do a wall jump. Sure. So let's say you want to get fancy and you backflip to make your first wall jump. That okay. backflip will add one to your combo multiplier. Doing the wall jump will add another to your combo multiplier. Okay. So you wall jump up. And then let's say you bounce off the wall and in midair you clap to grab some bananas. That'll add another to your combo multiplier. Okay. And then let's say you grab onto one of your animal friends, like the bird that carries you through. That'll add another to your combo multiplier. So it's just stuff what you do while you're in the air. Yeah, like each kind of new action you do without touching the ground adds one to your combo multiplier. Okay. I mean, yeah, I... I... So the, even without me fully understanding, you know, the math behind this, I want to say it still basically works. Like mm -hmm. I still had the sense that like, oh, yeah, the longer I go and the more I do, the more my multiplier goes up. And like just because I don't know the actual accounting of that, like I, the the game communicates that fine by feel, um, mm -hmm. but not by explanation. Right. Okay. <laughs> sure. You better not be about to tell me to go read the manual. It It, it is in the manual. Oh, my but... God. <laughs> but the game through this combo system allows you to play this game and feel this sense of finesse, even though you're using bongos, <laughs> that I think is incredible. You can get into such a great flow. Yeah, with that's true. DK and the ways that you want to approach the levels creatively to not hit the ground mm -hmm. uh, are really interesting. For example, you might, as you're going, you know, you might be kind of flying through the air and then see an enemy on the ground and you want to time your clap so you can, you know, clap to shock the enemy and then land on the enemy so you can, you know, attack the enemy on top of him without hitting the ground. And then from that, you'll get a spring boost and you'll want to grab the bananas that the enemy has released in the air. Yep. But at the same time, propel yourself forward in the air so you can bounce off the next enemy or, you know, grab onto... Grab onto one of those uh, banandelion sure. things. They're like dandelions, but they have bananas. They're called banandelions. Yep. Those things to fling yourself forward. You know, like just this sense of momentum and propulsion yeah. and um, and having to figure out how to do that and, and to try to get through a full level without hitting the ground or at least hitting the ground as little as possible mm -hmm. um, while, you know, clapping along the way. Because again, if you clap to grab bananas, they count for more than if you just touch the bananas. So you're also like, expending all of this physical energy as you do this <laughs> and you just come out of a level especially if you do really well just feeling very accomplished and your body tells you that you did a feat <laughs> that's true your palms are tingling yes unpleasantly um but yeah and it, it also makes you play that game which i think is really fun of trying to figure out okay so as you're building this combo and as you're gathering these beats if you touch the ground, you bank those beats, yeah. but you lose your multipliers in the and you have to restart. Yeah. But if you're in the middle of a combo and you get hit by an enemy, you lose everything. Yeah. You're always kind of playing that game wondering, you know, should I just stop my combo on purpose to just bank these beats? Because I, I, you know, I have 500 banked Yeah. and I don't want to lose them. Or should I just keep pushing one screen further to see how many I, I can accumulate, even though I can see the screen is just full of enemies? <laughs> I found this so much fun. I I think when I first played it when I was younger, I don't think I quite got it. 
Okay. I I don't think I understood how the combo system worked, but now kind of understanding it, I, I found this so much fun. But I think the big question remains is whether, regardless of how fun I found this, if this game really made the bongos necessary. Sure. So let's take a quick break. and When we come back, we'll talk about the actual bongos. Okay, we're back, and I want to ask you the question that we really have to ask about any peripheral-based game. Do the bongos add enough to this experience to justify the existence of this game? In other words, are these bongos more than just a gimmick? Yes. I think I think this game looks very different if it isn't made for the bongos, and I think this is a this is extremely strong harmony between peripheral and design of game. Um one of the things that is interesting to me is that you you sort of made the point at the top of the episode that um, peripherals have often been about trying to make uh, gameplay more immersive. Mm-hmm. Did this make the game more immersive? Yeah. Did you feel like a DK? In no way whatsoever. No? No. However, huh. I couldn't be less bothered by that. But wait. Okay. So, I, But I'm curious though, because I think for me, this is the game that... I found this game really did communicate that kind of essence of DK, the physicality of DK, the, you know, the weight of DK, even just having to, you know, exert all that energy when you want to turn around, like when you're going yeah. from left to right, and you just want to turn around and get your momentum back. Like the the energy you have to expend to get that to happen for me was like, oh, this I feel like a big ape. I mean, we're in a, we're still in COVID. I often feel like a big ape many days. But not an active one. So, so this I, one, this game really made me feel like I'm inhabiting this big DK body. I have to exert this energy. But once I get into a groove, yeah. I'm like an acrobat. So it's the essence of DK. I think I think this wasn't immersive for the exact same reason that it was immersive for you. So one of the things that I have thought about a lot in this game is that I am never not aware of my body as being like related to but separate from the the character mm. in game. So I think um there was never and I, I don't mean this in a in a negative way, but there there wasn't a time in playing this game really where I wasn't aware of my interaction with the controller. Whereas something I associate with a lot of Donkey Kong games is really and I know this is related to having, you know, kind of grown up with them and a comfort with traditional controllers and that kind of thing. But I was I was very aware of my inputs at every point during this game. 
Um, even when I got to a point when I was pretty comfortable with it and chaining things together, like I am feeling my arms get fatigued. I am feeling the limit of my ability to to do those drum rolls because I'm getting tired. I'm feeling my palms stinging. I'm feeling the the touch and spring of of the buttons in it. I don't know. I I think my my awareness of myself playing this game um, separated me from it in a way that um, I haven't felt as much with other Donkey Kongs. What about the combat, at least? Especially, like, say you're fighting a boss. Mm-hmm. And so how the bosses work is they have a set number of hit points. And basically, you need to do something. You had to figure out their weakness to get them to a state where you can just start frantically punching them. Yeah. And to punch them is you just wail on the bongos. You just drum roll as fast as you can. Yeah. And those moments when you get them into that vulnerable state and you kind of latch onto them, and you just start pounding the drums as fast as you can. Did you not feel like a DK? Oh yeah, that rules. <laughs> that the, see, this is the thing. There's there's like there's moments when I think the alignment of what Donkey Kong is doing and what you're doing on the bongos feels really good. Um, I I just think that that's not the same as just immersion to me. Um, and having those those like there were also plenty of times by the time I have played those two levels and gotten to that boss. Like my arms are like on the on the board. Okay, guys, I'm very weak. <laughs> I am not uh and whatever. So sometimes, you know, I I also remember the physical strain of trying to get those hits in to like get because you only have so long to wail on them, right? Before they sort of bounce back. It's not gonna wait for you to bring their health down to a certain point. So I don't know. I just I feel like I was it's not that it wasn't satisfying. It's not that it didn't make sense the way that it mapped to Donkey Kong's actions. I think all that stuff actually remarkably does make sense. It's just that I still was so aware of my body in in the process um, that I can't quite describe it as immersive, although I understand why that does feel immersive to you. One of the things that was funniest to me about all of this, that both you and I did this, but both you and I when we were playing this game... A hit the bongos hard, yeah, and B intense clapped so loud and so hard. And I think it's because in lots of cases you're like trying to grab something or hit somebody. And so I think you and I are both like doing the clap hard because we want to like hit them hard. But we want to make sure that the sensor hears us. But like you don't have to. The sensor is pretty good. It doesn't miss claps too often. Um, and in quieter moments, I know enough to just do like a quiet little clap. But you and I are both in there like. Y- I mean, being the DK beast, like really, really slamming it. Um, you do clap a lot in this game. Yeah. And it like clapping is maybe the most essential action for keeping your combo going. Yeah. But there's so much incentive to clap to, you know, like Michelle said, to grab things. There are all these helper monkeys that fling you. But as you're kind of moving past them for them to grab, you have to clap to reach out to grab them. Then, yeah, anytime you see bananas, you want to claps you they count for more you're doing so much clapping this is a clapping game i feel bad for our neighbors yeah <laughs> this is this is the other like like we have pretty good walls <laughs> peripheral based games are not usually great for apartment living <laughs> this is one of them yeah i mean it's so fun to play it, it also it took me about three levels to ask the question that all true gamers ask themselves at some point when playing with a new peripheral which is has someone beaten Dark Souls using this <laughs> controller? The answer, of course, is yes. We, we were able to go find that. You you just tap me on the shoulder at one time a couple days later and turn around your laptop, and it's some guy beating Ornstein and Smoke using the bongos. I was like, all right, <laughs> shut up. Get this away from me. 
<laughs> nothing it, nothing makes you feel more inadequate. Oh my god. Than the Dark Souls bongo player. It's somehow a feat of both programming and like mastery of it. anyway. And yeah, I I agree with you. Uh I don't know again if I would have said this at the time, but now playing this game, I I really like these bongo controllers. I think they did a great job. Mhm making a game that made the most of them. And I kind of wish there were more bongo games. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other question then is, of course, it's a it's a game that uses the bongos well, but is this a Donkey Kong game? You you mentioned some reservations before. Yep. Um, this was, so I, I went and found some old, like 2004, 2005 message boards. Ooh, here comes some vintage gamer rage. I've never seen... Such a group of petulant butthurt gamers. You haven't? This this is the thing. Even I was surprised. <laughs> okay. Are you going to give us a sample? Of how much these people hated <laughs> the idea that this game existed. Like not just that it's not just not for them. It's like no one should be allowed. They have not played this game. <laughs> They're just so pissed that... Nintendo. So at this point, Nintendo has done the split with Rare. We talked about this. Uh, we talked this when we talked about Star Fox Adventures, right? Right. Rare is no. Rare is now owned by Microsoft, and basically, Nintendo is rebooting the Donkey Kong franchise. And these Donkey Kong Country fans are so mad that Nintendo is not using any of the Donkey Kong Country characters and like that legacy mm. of Donkey Kong that they're just kind of going and doing their own thing. They think they're arrogant for doing this. Arrogant. Arrogant. They think they're lazy. And they think that they hate Donkey Kong. That Nintendo hates Donkey Kong? They think that Nintendo hates Donkey Kong. The character that has made them so much money. And just wants to destroy the franchise intentionally. And this is... (laughs) Okay, you, you, you don't know. This will make no sense to you. But around this same time, Vince McMahon... Oh, my God. Brought in the NWO. This is not a wrestling podcast. To the WWF. And and his rationale was that he hated what his uh, creation had become so much that he needed to inject a lethal dose of poison into it to bring the company to the ground. And these gamers thought that this is what Nintendo was doing, that they were sabotaging DK to inject a lethal dose of poison into the DK franchise. I'm not joking. This is what they thought. That is truly unhinged. I mean, like... Here's 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 one comment from this message board after seeing a Jungle Beat demoed. And people wonder why the fuck we hate this game so much. <gasps> every, bad, every bad thought we had about this game was just confirmed right now. This is a blatant insult and was designed to be a blatant insult. And the fact that it's coming from the company that, quote cares about its fans pisses me off even more i swear to god if they ever try to pull this shit again i'm never buying a Nint- another nintendo product period some other guy then replies yeah like the, this entire game, imagine understanding this little about capitalism this entire game was done to spite the donkey kong country games with clear and open disdain from these developers if they would have said something like those were Rare's characters, and we felt like we wouldn't be able to replicate the style that worked so well for them, so we went in a different direction. Then I would have maybe warmed up to this game. But no, they said, we have the best DK game ever. We bought D- we brought DK into the modern age. Ha ha ha. I, I can't imagine how 
absolutely dog shit stupid you have to be to think that a company as big as Nintendo is purposely investing resources like this in tanking a successful franchise. Like, that is that is some galaxy brain nonsense. It's like, like thinking- anytime you find yourself being like, oh, this thing Vince McMahon pretended to believe, someone else believes it sincerely. Like, you should look at yourself. Yeah, or at the very least, they thought they were trying to ruin the legacy of the rare version. It's too stupid to even engage with. Things have very much cooled down since then. If you go on those boards now, there's actually quite a few people who who like Jungle Beat <laughs> um, and, and are defending it. But yeah, that was very much the fan sentiment, at least among hardcore Donkey Kong Country fans. And I don't know if you were a hardcore Donkey Kong Country fan, but you're definitely a fan. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't paying attention in this era, really at all. But um, as, a, as a Donkey Kong Country fan, and now like mm-hmm. a Tropical Freeze Donkey Kong Country Returns fan... Is this a Donkey Kong game to you? So, yeah, I mean, I I think my, my number one biggest overall impression, despite whatever else I might see in this, ep- in this episode, is that I am surprised how much of a real Donkey Kong game this is. Um, of course, like the levels aren't as long. They aren't quite as complex as the really strong mainline Donkey Kongs. But I see two things. I see both echoes of what I really loved in the original Donkey Kong series, and also seeds of some of what gets picked up in Donkey Kong Country Returns and Tropical Freeze, which I think is absolutely one of the best platformers of all time. Um, like I, I see them coming back to 2D and really thinking, okay, how do we be creative? How do we move um, the genre forward, working with the constraints of a 2D space? And some of that stuff starts here. Um, so, I mean, we have... Like, I think it's worth talking about what what do I mean when I say this is this has Donkey Kongness, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just the skins, not just the characters. Like, I think we have a certain conceptual flair to a lot of the levels where you're really working through a theme or one core mechanic. Um, I think in some of the levels, like the Iguanagon level, which is uh, Silver Snow Peak, which is one where you're sort of being chased and pursued by this. A massive, massive, massive like iguanodon thing that's like destroying the terrain of the level. Um, It reminds me of some of the tropical freeze levels that are based around like one oversized baddie chasing you. Like um, one of the best examples is Squidicus, which starts out in Returns and then continues to Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, which is the massive squid thing that chases you through the whole level. This is there there's nothing like that in in the original DK games and it appears here in like a really well implemented like they've got the basics down at this point to an extent that I think is really impressive. Um I mean I I think I've I've talked about the the replayability for finesse that that I associate with this series but one of the other really big things is um I think you know I I have mixed feelings about this but the sort of repeated boss structure mm-hmm. that's you know you can like or not like that i yeah, find so it kind of boring there are four kinds yeah. of bosses yeah. that that repeat throughout the game yeah um this is a classic like donkey kong country thing this is the pattern in i think all three of the of those first games uh so you know it you i can't really count it just against this game as as the first time um, and they do like escalate in a really strong, really intentional way from from boss to boss. So I don't know. We just we have um, 
lots of times really beautiful uh, spaces that we're moving through with clever, interesting conceits with a lot of variety. Like it, this, this feels like a Donkey Kong game. Yeah, I see what you mean as this one being kind of more of a midpoint between Donkey Kong Country and some of the new, you know, the retro uh, studios led Donkey Kong 2D platformers. Uh, because here he's much more acrobatic than he is in Donkey Kong Country for sure. Yeah. Uh, and even arguably, this is him at his most acrobatic. Yeah, that might be true. And it does it does do away with some of the common Donkey Kong Country, Donkey Kong platformer iconography, right? Um, right? No barrels. Right. No roll jumping. Mm-hmm. But you got your animal friends. Yeah, you do. Different and animal friends. Yeah, different ones. I think actually one of my favorite points of implementation of the bongos is with... Um, Hoofer, who's one of your animal friends, he's like a uh, like a mountain goat, I guess, or like a ram. He sort of has a, a functionality similar to Rambi in the original mm-hmm. series, where he's sort of like you're galloping as him. You jump. He can break through walls and crash through enemies and stuff like that. But the thing that is so fun is like to make him run like DK. You're just like drumming on the right side drum, but for some reason, it feels so natural and so good for this like heavy galloping beast to be doing that and I found myself like kind of going into a galloping Mm -hmm. rhythm with the drumming like not really meaning to it didn't ask me to do that didn't need me to do that but it just like that's one of those moments when the tactile sensation feels so good and feels so hooked into what the what the character is doing on screen so yeah I really appreciated that there's there's other ones that feel really good too there's like an an orca whale called orco um, that you find deep down at the bottom of a water level and like zooms you back up through the surface, breaking through all these parts of a of a ship and everything. Like I think some of that environmental destruction on on your path is like classic mm-hmm. or comes to be classic DK vibes later on. Um, so yeah, a, a lot of that, your sort of anim, animal companion roster feels feels good in this one. So yeah, there there are a couple things that feel like a bit of a departure from the Donkey Kong mainline games to me. Uh, and maybe that sounds stupid to say for a game. <laughs> Again, you play with bongos, but I think probably the single, there's two huge departures. One is one of the things that I really associate with these games is phenomenally tight control systems. Mm. Like something that I really enjoy about these games is I think in pretty much every Donkey Kong Whenever I die, it was my fault. See, that's not something I would ever associate with Donkey Kong Country. Really? I think with the Tropical Freeze, when you get to Tropical Freeze, I think yes. Mm. I always found the other ones to be much clunkier. I mean, we talked about this in terms of why I tended to prefer on the Super Nintendo anyway, the Mario platformers to Donkey Kong Country. Because there was always, there always felt like there was a delay with Donkey Kong. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Whereas, like, I find some of the, especially the contemporary Mario's, like, a little bit slippery. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. This, I'm, I, maybe it's because I internalized those controls at such a young age <laughs> with country, but I, just, I feel such mastery and such clarity around that. It, to me, it feels so responsive um, and so specific in how each of the different characters move um, that I think that, you know, the bongos feel good, but they don't feel like a controller, right? Like, I, d- I don't think anyone, no matter how good you are, the bongos would suggest that you have, like, quite the nimbleness, you know, with midair, with quick changes of direction, with, like, um, 
very, very tight, precise platforming sections that you would have in a lot of the other games. I mean, I I think for me, I kind of disagree here. I think I, and again, Tropical Freeze is its own yeah. special thing. Um, but I mean, the way these levels are designed to make use of the controller, I I don't know if I've ever felt this degree of fluidity in any of the Donkey Kong Country games. Hmm. There are definitely moments where there are some things in the levels that don't lend themselves well to the bongos where the platforming has to be more precise than the bongos allow. I'm thinking especially of lava-based levels. Yeah. We need to make very precise jumps to not touch the lava. And when you do, there's this really lengthy kind of animation that you have to go through before you can continue. It's clunky. Yeah. Or or times when, you know, you're, you have the momentum and you're running and then you need to make kind of stop quick. Mm-hmm. That's always, that's also kind of difficult with the bongos. Um, but apart from that, once you get into a groove, I, I find that these controls, the bongo controls, lend themselves to to flow much better than older Donkey Kongs did. I mean, I think the levels are designed to lean into what feels good to do with the bongos and away oh, for, for sure. the most part from what doesn't. Like like we've said, you spend a lot of time airborne. You spend a lot of time clapping at the right moment to have monkeys or whatever else fling you in the direction you need to go. So I think, I think the game, like you know, sort of compensates or designs for its own strengths and weaknesses pretty well. But in in moments, like you said, where like, I, I do remember multiple times when when you're on the ground and trying to do some of some of this platforming being like, this is all stuff that would just be no sweat with a with a like, this is not a hard section of a Donkey Kong level, but it is within this in this specific format. Yeah. I, I mean, on the GameCube, there was the option to play this with a standard controller. I, I don't know no, why you would no, say that. Just, yeah, yeah, don't don't waste your time. There's so many other platformers. If, if you want to play a platform with a standard controller, just not this one. This is a this is a bongo game. No, I don't see why you would ever play this without the bongos. Because as I've said, it's very much designed for them. The levels are shorter. I don't think they would be really fun to go through with with mm-hmm. a different crew. I think this is these are this is a really harmonious pairing of game and and uh and peripheral. Um but I think actually one of my biggest hesitations about this game is something that I don't think I can say for any other Donkey Kong game I've ever played except for Donkey Kong 64, which is that I there's no connection between gameplay and music in this game. Yeah, right. Like David Wise isn't working on this game. You don't get his. When have I ever finished a Donkey Kong game and not been able to hum a single song from it after I'm finished? Yeah, I, I agree that this of the Donkey Kong games, this is probably the weakest in terms of the soundtrack. The other thing is, I don't know because I'm banging on the drums and clapping. I don't know if I ever even get to hear the yeah, soundtrack. Absolutely. Well, and I think this is all even weirder for me because we are playing this on a drum. Like it, it seems it does feel to me like there would have been an opportunity here to have some connection between, for example, the rhythm of your clapping as you're being flung between all these different monkeys and background music that's playing in a specific level. That there would be something about the timing in there, and I think that's um, in in later games. I think they might have attempted. It's just it's weird to be playing on an instrument. In a franchise that is synonymous to me with great soundtracks and great music 
in their levels and have such a disconnect between both what I'm doing and also just my own, the memorability of tracks in it generally. Yeah, I wonder if there's some technical limitations that made it difficult to do that kind of dynamic music on the GameCube. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, that that answers the the question of, you know, having... um, you know, rhythm in levels match up with with background music. It doesn't really solve the problem of like none of the music here is memorable. No, the melodies aren't yeah. aren't as strong yeah. as before. I mean, it's it's a high bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think that's I think those are the two areas where I really see this diverging in a way that isn't um, isn't necessarily intentional. I don't think mm-hmm. you know. Um, but again, those are those are given everything that we're looking at here. Like, this is a Donkey Kong-ass video game, and that's pretty impressive. Yeah, so do you have any highlights, any moments, any levels that really stood out to you as you were playing as either kind of quintessential Donkey Kong or really just interesting and striking for any other reasons? Absolutely. Yes, 100%. So one of one of the other things that I like about the Donkey Kong series is they have, to me, some of the least annoying water levels. Like, I mm. find swimming in Donkey Kong much less annoying than I find it in, like, mo- certainly most 2D platformers. Um, and this one also swimming feels pretty good. I mean, pristine sea is sort of the level I'm thinking of that, um, is the first time you have to do a fair amount of, of swimming. And I was dreading the water levels of this to be totally honest, but actually, in fact, it feels quite good. Like, so you, when you drum, uh, donkey like swims down. And so, you know, uh, tapping on the right bongo is sort of a, uh, down right, swimming path uh and then whenever you're not moving he's gonna float back up so you're sort of balancing that um but like this this very first one is really strong right you're swimming the whole sort of arc of the level is you swimming down into the depths which is really cool um you're sort of navigating around the shipwreck that's in the way and you can see things that look like secrets inside it but you can't get there and then when you get far down enough you meet orko um, and grab his his uh, dorsal fin, and he swims you back up all through the level, um, like breaks up the ship, all this great stuff, uh, and and sort of bounces you out of the water. But the the whole thing just feels it feels right that it's underwater. It feels like it. There's a reason for it to exist. Your animal friend makes sense, contextualized. There's a really satisfying feel to it and conclusion. Like I just think. It's really quite a strong water level, like in the scale of water levels in platformers um, and a strong introduction to how it's going to work in this particular game. Like some of these ideas are picked up later in, in one called Deep Sea Sprint, where you're racing a bunch of sea turtles. And mm-hmm. so most of the points that you most of the beats that you get in that game come from where you're placed. Yeah, there are a lot of races in this game. But yeah, that sea turtle one, a lot of it is about there's sort of all these currents where mm-hmm. if you control yourself well enough to get into the current, you'll sort of get this big momentum boost. Uh, and it feels really good. It like moves you through the space really quickly. Like it makes sense with the way sea turtles move. Like it, the whole thing is just good. It's just really, really solid. Um, so that one definitely jumps out at me. The other one that uh, to me is one of the most impressive levels and partially because it reminds me, it has like the vibe of something that gets picked up later in Tropical Freeze that I really like is Sweet Paradise, which is the level with all the floating jelly blocks in the sky. So Okay, so this is, yeah, so this is jelly blocks in the sky. But here's something that's shocking to me. Uh, and two of your, two of the standout levels to you are both effectively swimming levels. Yeah, I know. This is, 
this feels yeah this feels like a huge moment like listen when you do it right i will be impressed yeah but but i mean sweet paradise really does stand out um it, it's really a check to see if you've mastered the swimming at this point mm-hmm. because you do use use the swimming mechanics to move through these jellies uh yeah because basically right you're dropped out of the sky and you're plunging to the ground but there are these huge jellies in the sky that you can land in and then swim through, and they're full of beats. Yep. And that's how you get your beats. And you know you have to kind of move between them and jump between them, even using the swimming mechanics. So you have to be really precise. And then if you miss, you kind of just plummet and miss out on so many beats. Yep. Yeah. There. It's just like the aesthetic and vibe is incredibly good. It's it's all this. Um. It's easy to picture these as being like fruit juice jellies or something. Mm-hmm. They have that sort of bright tropical feeling um they're arranged in a in a really cool way that has you going up down sideways all around there's lots of different paths through it there's bad guys to dodge inside the jellies outside the jellies there's uh things that are easy to miss on your way there's little margin for error like it just it's such a it's such a pleasure and sort of the last section of it is just you plummeting straight down through this long sequence where there's like all this stuff to grab and you're maneuvering a bit in air it just is so fun it is pure platformer fun it's like imaginative and brightly colored and just like a joy to be in it's just it's just like such a fun level yeah and to me this is one of the levels that really cements the design philosophy of this game that the game is not about losing a life like the the punishment of this game is not getting your beats yeah and it's very hard to die in this game. But as this level makes clear, it is very easy to get through a level with very few beats. Yeah. And if you do this level properly, though, you can you can get your 1200 just in this level alone. Oh, yeah. Like There's so many opportunities. There are, there are also so many points in this level where you're trying to make the calculus like, OK, is it worth maybe getting hit by this mm-hmm. by these baddies to to kind of go into this this section and maybe get electrified with this jellyfish? But if I go there, I can get these extra beats. Yep. Like you're always doing that calculus as you're swimming through. Yeah, absolutely. I also just want to shout out one of the bosses in particular, which is Cannon Tusk. OK. Cannon Tusk to me is like a fully good DK boss. Hmm. This is like a mechanical sort of elephant thing that's going to shoot bombs at you out of its nose and you have to pick these explosive pineapples up and chuck them at the boss at the right time so that it'll get sucked into his nose and blow him up. Then he'll release these things you got to throw it. It's like, this to me has all the elements of like, not a lot of immediate vulnerability, having to get the right timing, having to be really nimble and responsive, dodging incoming projectiles, watching for vulnerabilities, like, you know, opening up that opportunity to really like go hog wild. Like when he, when you can see his belly, you just like chuck all the bombs really quickly so you can get so much damage. Um, that sort of like hecticness and, and strategy and everything. This is so fun. This is a complete good Donkey Kong boss. If I had to show the people from that message board one single <laughs> level or clip or whatever from maybe this entire game, I might choose one of the Tusk fights as like, don't worry about it. Every, like, it's all here. It's all here. You've got you've got everything that you need. They would just say, that's not from the Rare game. Not They're good enough. Disrespecting Where's the legacy Dixie? of Rare. <laughs> they want this to fail. Where's they want to lose Kong? money. They're spending all this money so that they cannot make any back for some reason. <laughs> this makes sense. Trust me. 
Uh, we can talk so much more about this game. I think we've we've said our piece. For me, it was really great to go back to this game after so many years and be so surprised by it. Uh, it's still it was incredibly refreshing to go back and kind of knowing what I know now. You, and this is what I was alluding to at the beginning. You can really see the seeds of what becomes Mario Galaxy in these games. Mm. There are some literal assets that are in the Mario Galaxy games. Like the banana lines are in galaxies and they function the same way where Mario oh, wow. goes up on them and they flick him. Um, like the design philosophy of having these levels centered on one idea that's iterated throughout, uh, that really becomes the basis of the galaxies and Galaxy 2 in particular. The general variety of gameplay. Yeah. The quick focused bursts of gameplay. Because um, the galaxies really kind of brought back ideas from level-based 2D games into the 3D space. And I think you can almost see them playing with that here. Right, like um, one thing that differentiates the Galaxy games from the Mario sixty four and Sunshine is that they're much; they feel much less sprawling, and each star that you have to collect feels much more like um, a level based on a single idea, single mechanic than in the other games, where you know the stars or the shines feel like they're more hidden in a larger overworld. Mm. And I think again, like that. Okay, what's what's the nugget of gameplay that we can communicate? on the path to the star. I think you see the seeds for it in in Jungle Beat. The integration of 2D style sequences into Mario happens in the Galaxy games much more so. And again, I think that might that could be tied back to Jungle Beat and, and lessons learned in Jungle Beat. Inclusion of races, as we mentioned. Yep. And just some of the ideas themselves in the levels, like there's a lava level, for example, where a lot of it is there are these huge moving platforms there's kind of two walls that are moving and dk has to kind of get in between them and just like wall jump between them Mm -hmm. as they move from left to right and that's kind of how he how he gets transported across the lava and like those types of ideas are things that you see in mario games um almost immediately after i can see the seeds for how mario evolved in this game now that i've actually played those games because they they exist now and i don't know i have such a stronger appreciation for this game that's so cool also stronger appreciation for bongos as a controller yeah (laughs) (laughs) And <laughs> probably as an instrument. <laughs> Shit's a workout. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> so do you have any final thoughts? Yeah. There's something I've always never completely grasped about, DK. Why are some Kongs evil? Oh, I, I don't know if they were evil. I think they were the, like, just... like Dread Kong and like all the boss Kongs? They got like red eyes and they're... I think they just also want to be king of the jungle. And you just got to... You know, it's just like an animal thing. You just, you're just got to show that you're the big ape that is one conception of what it means to be an animal i suppose <laughs> i don't know if they're i think the like the final boss like the cactus king yeah i think he's evil yeah but like the the other kongs like there's yeah you have to fight a um a ninja kong who's the hardest boss in the whole game sumo kong sumo kong yeah and all these are like in these like punch out style it, the games. first one is basically exactly a wario wear boss where which you have is, to dodge and then punish which is punch out Sure. We got to play. We got to get you to play some Punch Out. <laughs> if only I ever was a gamer, <laughs> I would know about this stuff they already. They took this idea from WarioWare. <laughs> just because we just play. All right. No, but it is. But that Wario boss is a Punch Out boss. Okay. Or, or Punch Out reference. Okay. Well, now I but know. Yeah, you do, you do Punch Out with the bongos, basically, is what we're saying. <laughs> um, against these Kongs who Michelle's wondering why they're evil. And I don't know if I would call them evil. I think they're just animals. I don't think we can ascribe morality to animals. Last other thing. Those 
duels with the spiders that like block you in and then you have to go to town and punch them. Wait, you got to explain what this is. Ugh. There's like these spiders in it that are, you. they trap you between their two really tall, long legs, but they kind of move so you have to stay underneath them, which isn't that easy because you're playing with bongos. And then they scoot down to bite you and you punch them in the face really fast. They're extremely fun. Put those <laughs> in more games. That's just my, that's all I wanted to put say. Put literally those enemies. Put in literally, more- put literally those spiders in future Donkey Kong games. You cowards! Wow, that's that's your takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> all right, um, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, as always, uh, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, uh, please feel free to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, or tell a friend. It helps us so, so much, uh, especially as we're branching out and trying some different games that, you know, aren't Metal Gear Solid. Um, If you want more information about this show, uh, you can find it at neverwasagamer.com. You can follow us on Twitter at neverwasagamer. Yeah, thanks so much for listening. Our next episode is going to be another Snap Judgment grab bag. Yeah. We're going to wrap up this arc and give some of our final thoughts about these experimental games. And then we're going to look at a few games that elicit very specific emotions from the player because feeling your feelings really strong and then talking about it on message boards or your podcast (laughs) is an important part of being a gamer.